Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Speak into our hearts, Lord, that you would shape us. And God, there is so much in the world that would want to distract us. And there's even the sin in our own hearts, the, the tiredness, the soreness that would distract us from your word. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, and God, that you would enable us to hear you and obey you so that we would be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I went to a conference years ago, and I was given the advice at the conference that if your boss ever tells you to do something, are you not picking me up? I'm I'm on. My machine is on. Podium mic. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on. I promise. The the advice that I was I was given was if your boss ever tells you to do something that is illegal or immoral, what you should do is laugh. You laugh and you say something to the effect of, "Oh, you're testing me. You're trying to trip me up, aren't you?" Now, fortunately, I've never had to take that advice, to use that advice myself, but it seems to me that it makes sense to try to diffuse an otherwise difficult situation uh, because, as we know, in the world in which we live, there are all kinds of situations that can be very uncomfortable, especially for those of us who love and trust Jesus Christ. Amen? But then the question comes, does the Bible ever give any specific advice on dealing with immoral bosses, with situations at work that are difficult? Well, the obvious answer is yes. There are many stories throughout Scripture where the bosses who were in charge of people were less than moral. I'm sure several of them could come into our mind. But furthermore, there is very specific instruction in our passage that we're going to look at today about how you and I can know how we are to work. I'd like to read our passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. This says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or is free. Masters, Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Tonight we're going to learn that whether you lead or follow, you and I must do everything we do to the glory of God. Now, the first thing we see, or the first issue we come to in this passage is, is this passage addressed to us at all? I mean, 
Paul is talking to slaves right off the top. And though, sadly, slavery is still alive and well in both the United States and around the world, most of the people who will hear this sermon are not slaves. But Paul specifically says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. And there are many who would say that this is not for us. They would say that specifically slaves are dealing with one class of people, and though because we are not, it doesn't apply to us. But I disagree wholeheartedly because the principles given to us in this passage clearly apply to situations we find ourselves in or have found ourselves in in our lives. So what I want to do is take a look, take apart these principles, one verse at a time, and see how they apply. And the first thing in your notes you'll see is we need to know who and how to fear. So let's read our first verse. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, the second thing that jumps out about this verse is the word fear. Fear is a four-letter word, pun intended, because we don't like fear in our... There's at least one person awake. Thank you, Michelle. Fear, four-letter word, swear word. You know what? If you have to explain a joke, it's not funny. <laughs> I cracked myself up. We don't like fear. We have bumper stickers that say no fear. We have politicians who say we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And Churchill was right in the sense that he spoke these words. If we begin our work or anything that we're doing running around like chickens with our heads cut off, then we will make decisions that are ultimately bad for us. Scary are the thoughtless attitudes and actions that would drive us into the clutches of Hitler's war machine or into Satan's sin machine, prepared especially for your heart and mine. But while for good effect, Churchill left the other off the other half of the story, fear can be good. In fact, it can be life-preserving. If there's a cobra in the room and your wise fear causes you to jump on top of a table, I would say that your fear did you a service. In fact, you, because of your fear, put yourself in a right relationship to the cobra. Far away, right? And likewise, I would say that fearing the Lord is the fear that causes you to put yourself into a right relationship with God. It causes you to understand that God is more dangerous than any cobra. And while he is loving, even for his children, we dare not put ourselves into a wrong relationship to him. Jesus himself said in John, excuse me, Luke chapter 12, verse 5, says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
There is only one who has authority to cast into hell. And while we may be saved, if you have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, you are still in a position where you need to listen. You need to obey. You need to, as the New Testament puts it, fear the Lord. Now you'll remember last week, we were talking about the family relationship, and we were speaking specifically about children obeying their parents in the Lord, meaning that their obedience to their parents must be in light of their ultimate obedience that they owe to the Lord. And we learned last week that how I live with my family is not about whether my parents' commands to me make sense. It's not about whether I lived a troubled childhood. How I live with my family is all about God and my relationship to him. You and I must be in a right relationship to God when we are considering how we are to live with our families. And you and I must put ourselves in a right relationship with God when we consider how we live in our workplace. Workers must work hard for their employees in light of the fact that it is Jesus who is their master, whoever the boss is, and he is our master. And that's why Paul tells the slaves that they should be in fear of their master. And Paul makes this whole idea of fear a little um, clearer in a parallel passage to the one in Ephesians that we're considering, and that's in Colossians chapter 3.22, where he says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, we're going to run into those words here in a second again, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. See, Paul makes explicit here what he implies in the Ephesians passage, which is, I think, still correct. My friends, what you and I need to keep in mind as we fear those who are in authority over us, as we seek to put ourselves in a right relationship to them, is that we must always be in a right relationship to the Lord. We must always understand that whether we lead or whether we follow, you and I must do everything to the glory of God. So remember, when he talks about this idea of fear, he's talking about putting ourselves in a right relationship, putting ourselves in a position where we are doing ultimately what their master and ours wants us to do. And the only way this is possible, continuing with verse 5, is to do it with a sincere heart. Now one of the themes that we're going to see stretched all the way through this passage as we continue to go down is that all of this, all of our relationship with those who are our bosses and all of our relationships with those who are underneath us, as well as last week when we learned about our relationships in the family, is all about doing it for the glory of God. It is being done in our hearts, sincerely, from the heart, with a good will. Because, my friends, it matters. It is important that we do what we do from the inside out. We do it from our character as Christians. 
So we learn uh, in verse 5 who it is and how it is that we are to fear. We are to fear the Lord by putting ourselves in a right relationship with him. But then the second point we're going to see in your notes is we need to know who is big and who is small. We see that in verse 6. Verse 6 says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now here's where Paul explains that our fear and trembling is not so much in view of the human Lord or Master that is standing in front of us. It's in view of God. And he makes this crystal clear when he says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Instead, as here verse 6 makes clear, we are to be doing the will of God. Now as we are running through this passage tonight, going verse by verse, there is a lot we could cover on this. But the very first thing, and I think the most important thing that uh, pops out of this verse that applies to your life and mine, whether you're retired or working or will work, the most important thing that pops out about this is that Paul is assuming that you will know the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have known quite a few people who've come up to me, well, what's God's will for this? What's God's will for that? Paul assumes in this verse that we will in fact know God's will and that it's really not that hard. Turn to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5 and you're going to find the Ten Commandments. Turn to Micah 6.8 where uh, the prophet commands us, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. How about Matthew 4.10? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How about Matthew 22.37-39 where Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. My friends, if you spend any time in God's will, God, or God's word, God's will becomes very clear. It becomes easy to understand. If you are spending time with the Lord, he will show you. In fact, John, Jesus says in the book of John, he says if anyone's will, if anyone desires and sets their heart on doing God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. He, the person who longs, who desires to do what God wants him to do, will understand God's will. All you got to do is put one foot in front of the other, trusting that he will show you. Jesus tells us here that if you seek to obey, if you desire to obey, you will learn what God's will is. So the question, in Moses' day, in Jesus' day, and in our day today is, do you want to know God's will? Do you want to live for the glory of God? Whether that's in home, at our home like we talked about last week, or where we work like this passage is talking about, because it is true no matter where you are. Whether you lead or whether you follow, you and I must do everything to the glory of God. So we need to know who is big and who is small, and that is God is the one who is big 
bigger than our bosses on earth. And then we need to know how to decide. It says in verse 7 that we need to render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Here, again, of the things that we could talk about, I think the key question for me is what on earth is he talking about here when he says, with a good will? We understand what service is, and we understand so far in our passage he's been talking about doing what we do unto the Lord. But the question then is, what is a good will? The truth is that it doesn't mean much more than what we've been talking about in the last several verses. But the phrase is interesting. Because to have a good will towards someone is to wish them well. It is To have a good will means that you want what is best for that person. So what it means is whomever it is that you are working for or living with or rubbing elbows with at the local supermarket, you desire and you desire to do for them what is best. Which, by the way, is the definition of love. Love is to desire and to do what is best for the beloved. That is what love is. It is desiring and doing what is best for your neighbor, whoever is in front of you. Now, unfortunately, as you know, this is not as well known as it ought to be. But it is still true that whether you lead or whether you follow, you need to do everything to the glory of God. Paul continues, and as you're seeing, he's repeating himself over and over again, using different words. And I think this is important. And the reason why it's important is because the Bible was written, as you know, by many people over a long period of time. But it was written to different people. And different people, as we are, hear things differently. Some of you will catch on, and you'll catch on to one verse more tightly than another. And I think that that is one of the geniuses of Scripture is that the Lord uses several different images and uses several different ways to catch our attention. And when we get to verse 8, he just throws in one more way of looking at the same truth, albeit in this way he's adding something significant that we'll, we'll find out is important. And that is we need to know who It is who rewards. Let's find out in verse 8. We are to do all these things knowing that whatever good anyone does, this, this good, he will receive back from the Lord. And it doesn't matter whether he's slave or free. What's, What's amazing about this verse, what really pops out in my mind, is that Paul continues admonishing us to do what is right. And he needs to continue to admonish us to do what is right because you and I so quickly go off on our own way. Do I hear any amens on that? I am guilty of that, even if the rest of you are not. 
And so Paul needs to command us and he needs to illustrate this in several different ways so that we will have the impact on our heart. But notice this time when he admonishes us to do the right thing, he admonishes us with the promise of a reward, with the promise of benefit, of grace that he longs to pour out on us. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many here right now are thinking in the back of their heads, hmm, sounds suspicious. That means I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do at work because God's going to reward me. That doesn't sound right. Well, let me tell you the reason why it doesn't sound right is because way back even before Jesus came to earth, there were a bunch of philosophers named the Stoics. And the Stoics thought that all that life was was hard and brutal, and so you just had to grit your teeth and fight through it. Much more recently, there was a philosopher named Immanuel Kant, and one of his big teachings was is that you were only accomplishing something good if you didn't enjoy it. As soon as you started enjoying it, well, it, it may be helping them, but it's, it's no longer accruing to your account. That's garbage. That's baloney. It's not true whatsoever. Because what God does over and over and over again is he pours out these promises. And he just says, listen, All you got to do is listen, and I will pour out so much blessing you won't be able to contain it. I think that the problem, the real problem with the Stoics and Immanuel Kant and all these other guys is he never had a monster burger from Rooney's down there in Orcutt. Poor guy. You know, you just need to pray for him. Thanks to these bad influences, we have a wrong idea of reward. In fact, as I said, God goes out of his way over and over and over again to promise us reward so that our natural desire for good will help us to win the battle against the temptations that crush God's people. Because it is a temptation to be a man-pleaser. It is a temptation to just do eye service, to make people think that you are nicer or better to them than you really are, to kind of finagle your way into situations. is tempting. In fact, not only is it tempting, but it's the presumed idea that we have of what other people are doing all the time. What does the phrase brown noser mean? What does kissing up mean? It's these ideas of being a man pleaser instead of understanding who it ultimately is who gives the reward. Instead of understanding who ultimately it is that we are working for. My friends, trust the promises of God knowing that he will give you back a reward for what you are doing. Everything that we have seen here is that God wants us, 
whatever we are doing to do from our heart, a heart that serves him and through our service to whatever earthly bosses that we may have in life, we need to understand that whether we lead or whether we follow, we do everything from to the glory of God. And this is how all these verses tie together. They all tie together because the work that we are to do is from the heart. It flows from where our life is. And this we have read many times, Proverbs 4.23, where it commands us to keep our heart, to guard our heart, to protect our heart with all vigilance. For from our hearts flow the springs of of life. I said a moment ago that one of the themes of this passage is that our work must be from the heart. Let me add something to that here. This means that your heart is aligned to serving the Lord. It means that you want God's glory in every aspect of your life, not just on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Keeping your heart with all vigilance in the context of our passage tonight we're looking at means that you want God to be seen as absolutely worth living for. That you want your boss, you want your co-workers, you want the people who are around you to see that God is not just worth dying for, which in some ways is easier, but he's worth living for. He's worth making your decisions on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis in light of the fact that he is greater than anything and everything on earth. Keeping your heart with all vigilance means you are doing the day-in and day-out things just like you're doing them as if you're doing them for Jesus and not your boss. Because whether you lead or whether you follow, do everything for the glory of God. And in verse 9, Paul finally switches, and he's no longer talking to the slaves, to the workers, but he's talking to the masters. And there we see we need to understand who serves whom. And in verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same for them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. What you don't see when you're reading through this in the English is that Paul uses the exact same words when he talks about the masters of the slaves and Jesus. He uses the same word that the apostles use for Jesus the whole time, Lord. He calls him Lord. And the slaves called their master Lord, And he's making a point here, just like to the masters, to the ones who are the bosses, he's saying, just like they call you Lord, you need to understand that there is a Lord that is far above you. And you are to understand that you, in this sense, are his slave. And so masters, do the same to them. Masters, bosses... Whoever you are, you're not going to get away with thinking that verses 5 through 8 are just about slaves. Paul, I love this because Paul makes it clear in the midst of a culture that did have slaves, both the chattel type of slavery that we have heard of and unfortunately had happen in our own country, but working all the way up to 
blue-collar slaves that would live in Rome. And he would say to the masters, you need to understand, you need to do everything I just told those slaves. Man, talk about politically incorrect. That would have raised some serious eyebrows. And my friends, that might even raise some eyebrows among us. Because there are people that you think are below you that you and I need to remember to have the same attitude towards. In fact, in the sense of who they are as persons, nobody on earth is below you. Just remember that the next time you're yelling at somebody on the freeway. Okay, getting away from there and back to preaching. He says, stop your threatening. Don't treat your worker as subhuman. Don't treat anybody as subhuman. Especially if he is a brother in Christ and he is equal to you in every way except for the minor detail of money. And anyone who lives in this country for the last 40 years must indeed know that money is very fickle. And there have been a lot of people that have had complete financial reversals just because of things that were far beyond their control. And I bet there's a few amens and some hearts in this room, even if they aren't out loud. So don't be judging people just because they work for you. Because you might be working for them sometime. But here, that's not the reason. I'm sorry, maybe I even shouldn't have said that. Knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven. Because whatever you do or say to your employees or your children or your spouse or anybody else that you're in authority over, just remember that your Lord, your master, your boss is in heaven. And he knows what's happening in your heart. Because your heart really is the measure Because there is no partiality. God judges us not because we were born in the U.S., not because we have a good family, not because of anything you have had or done. We've said over and over again tonight, what we do is is about what is in our hearts. And we know our hearts are right if we are living for God's glory and not our own. That is how God measures, not who's on the bottom of the economic slight scale or who's on the top and you all know this this is from first samuel 16 where the lord says the lord said to samuel do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks out on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart my friends as you consider how you are working, or if you're retired, as you consider the various people you are in authority relationships to, consider it's all about your heart and it's seeking after the glory of God, not about who's up and who's down in any social circumstance. Don't be fooled because the Lord is clear. Whether you lead or would follow, do everything to the glory of God. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, as with all of Scripture, the commands we find in it are difficult. In fact, we can't obey 
except by the grace of God. Lord, they're not complex, though. We know what you are asking us to do. Lord, I pray that this week, my brothers and sisters and I would seek you. We would seek to make your glory more important than anything that we might earn, anything that we might have, anything that any relationship we might be in compared to someone else. Lord, instead of, instead of those things, which are all externals, Lord, I pray that we would learn to love and to seek and to trust and to know you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.